G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Marlin. Today, I've got Dwayne Long from Investor's Edge, my colleague who I work with, on the show to chat about the proposed changes to the Residential Tenancies Act. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investor's Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. We did have a chat a while ago about all the possible things they were throwing at the wall. So things have just been announced, haven't they, as to what it's likely to be? Sure, I've got some mixed reviews from some of the team already. But yeah, there are a few changes that are looking likely to happen this year and yeah, we'll take some time to go through those today. Well, in the government's media release and the Real Estate Institute WA, I think they obviously got together and coordinated a bit on what message are we going to go with? You know, how do we make investors feel good about all these changes? And they said, we're striking a balance between tenants and landlords. But are we really? Let's go into some of these things. Yeah, lots to chat about today. Keep in mind that big picture, this is just the day-to-day operations and a lot of this can be done by your property manager, can't it? It's really what's going to affect the management of your property. A lot of it shouldn't hopefully get to you, the investor, if you have a good manager, Wayne, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'd say so. But yeah, I think we've got to look at some of the finer details of what this is going to look like and we'll, we'll talk about those, I think, um, step-by-step all the way through. Well, one of the first practices that's being prohibited is what they call rent bidding. And basically, it, they're hoping that it's going to take the pressure off tenants putting in a higher price or being encouraged to pay more above the advertised price for a property. How do you see that practically working out? Because firstly, I find this one to be pretty strange. I mean, we're there to represent the owner and get the best price possible. How's that different to a sale where we're we're trying to get the best price possible for a seller? You know, at the moment, take us through what practices we currently do and how we might need to change this and what it's going to practically mean firstly. Yeah, so here at Investors Edge, we use a from pricing strategy. So ideally getting the tenants to be offering what they see as fair value for that property. So for example, if 450 was um, the price that we ascertained through our rental appraisal to be reasonable, we would put from 450 to um, encourage tenants to offer more if they were willing to offer more. The second part to that is once we've got applications coming through and they're of high quality, we may have two that you know an owner would be more than happy to accept, we would actually go and speak to those tenants and just make sure they're aware there's a material fact, there's another application that potentially may be accepted, is that your best and final offer? Now, that's nothing to do with rent bidding. That's just making sure that, you know, the tenants are aware and they're putting their best foot forward with their application. However, sometimes tenants do choose to offer more or pay a a six-month rent in advance or perhaps even sign up to a longer-term lease. And that's what we're doing at the moment to try and get the best we can for our investors. But with this proposed change, it sort of means we can't do the from strategy anymore, you know? And I think it also means that in terms of having that discussion around, you know, your best and final offer, I could argue, or I guess some may argue that might be pushing towards asking for a higher rent. So I think those two things might need to change. But the reality is, if you're a tenant coming into the property 
and there's five or six other applications there, you want to make your applicant application stand out. Now, a savvy tenant may go and offer a little bit more or a longer-term lease if that's what the investor wants. And Same when you're buying a property, you know? Like you're not going to go in and offer the lowest amount for the property when you know you've got competition and five other offers. Hello. <laughs> yeah, but I guess the downside is that now we can't have that discussion with tenants to say, look, there are other applications. Is that your best and final? And I think it upset tenants when they realize they've missed out on a property because of whatever factor it might be, you know? We can't have that discussion. Oh, we didn't know there was another application. You know, I think it's didn't really- didn't know we could offer more than asking prices some assume never even think to. And I think in reading a bit of the finer details, tenants are still able to offer more, you know, and we're still able to accept more. We just can't engage in any practice of rent bidding, right? So we can't be going out there and we're not at the moment, but it's, like I said, a material fact and people can see there's a lot of demand at these viewings. They've missed out on five or six properties and they don't want to keep missing out. So yeah, that'll be a very interesting one to see how that pans out. And again, the finer details around that will be released later, but I can see this to be a bit problematic for some tenants and, you know, we will have to adopt this uh, and change the ways that we do things uh, moving forward if this is the case. Well, what are we going to do instead of the from pricing if at the moment we're looking at the evidence and it's, you know, properties have recently rented at 430, we might be putting it on it from 450 because there's nothing else on market. If we can't use a from price, well, what are we going to do? Well, I have a feeling that some investors might just say, chuck it up at 475, chuck it up at 480 and see what happens. And, you know, I think that's going to, given the amount of stock that's available online, I think it's just going to drive price even further. But, hey, look, that's speculation. <laughs> well, what have you got to lose by putting it up for two or three days at the higher price when we're starting the process in most cases when we've got a sitting tenant, we're starting the process 30 days out. At the moment, we can place a tenant in a week two weeks depending on if we're finding the actual quality of applications there it's never just about price like our discussion today has been focused on price but of course quality trumps everything and that solid rental history and everything else we've spoken about in some previous episodes you know don't be don't get don't get us wrong um we'd take a tenant that's twenty dollars less over one that's uh, suspect and has just had a termination served against them <laughs> so you know, quality trumps everything else. But if all things are even, all things are the same, then we are going to look to that price, of course. So what are some of our other changes? What was the next one they've got proposed? I think the next one that um, sort of affects our clients as well is the ability to increase the rent at the moment can be done every six months, given a few conditions are met, but they're reducing that frequency to being every 12 months. So what that might mean for our investors, and the reality of this is that I know a lot of property managers and private landlords who don't do six monthly rent reviews anyway, they're just renewing when the lease is renewed. But for our clients, it does take away a benefit because really markets move quite quickly, particularly over the past two years. So Sat flat for two years, but now we're in steep increases and we've had you know 15% increase over the last year. I guess we wouldn't be able to pass on that increase midway then. No, like and what I really mean, I think, is that tenants are going to have to gear up for a bigger rent increase at the end rather than having a smaller increase midway and then a, another moderate increase, you know, at the end. What they're looking at is like a bigger 
jump, I guess. And sometimes that can't be palatable and tenants aren't aware that it's moved $100 in 12 months. And, you know, we can lead ourselves into a little bit of trouble, I think, with, you know, that big increase on a tenant who may not be able to afford it. You know, you're going to put a tenant out of the street potentially by doing that. So I think that there's a lot of things to weigh up here. But at the same time, personally, for this particular one, I don't think it's too bad of an idea. Um, and we're keeping up with the rest of Australia as well. I mean, yeah, those are changed in other states to yeah. only allow that. Correct. And I think if a tenant signs a 12 month lease, you know, if playing both parties here, being fair to both, I think it's not a bad thing to keep the rent the same for the 12 month period. But I think it does mean that, you know, the ability to manage expectations during, through that tenancy and manage those smaller rent increase um, steps rather than a big jump. It's no longer available for us. And, of course, we're going to go deeper in every situation where the tenant says, you know, they literally can't afford it. It's going to mean that they're going to have to move out. And we're obviously going to take that back to the owner and they can weigh up, you know, is this rental increase worth the potential cost to release the property and the vacancy and changeover and the rest of it and how well are they treating the property, how well are they to work with. So that can all be still assessed. And, of course, it's not ever just about price again, which I want Wanted to mention for a second time. Yeah. <laughs> You're right, Jared, but I guess this is specific around that rent increase frequency, right? So I guess that's what we're focusing so much on that price. Yep. Next change. What else have we got? Well, this one might uh, upset a few people. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, the, I guess at the moment, we're able to say no to any type of pets. We can just say no pets. Well, things no are. No reason change. given. Nope, no, no, nope, no. But now things might be changing so that pets are going to be allowed at all rental premises. And it's only going to be in specific cases that the owner or the investor can apply to the commissioner to have no pets at the premises. Now, we haven't seen the list of what that might look like yet. And I believe anything that's strata related, it's off the cards anyway. If the strata bylaws say there's no pets, there's no pets. But uh, for every other property, uh, unfortunately, it means that you do have to you know, consider and take a pet. Well, I, I do hear there's changes to the Strata Titles Act potentially coming at some point too to allow pets and and it'll be interesting to see how that rolls out and gets changed as well. But what are some of the potential exemptions that an owner might be able to raise? Because, yeah, there's been a bit of worry from those that, you know, do have certain situations. I think the worry comes from the fact that someone could have four dogs in an apartment, you know, or... They could have a dog that, you know, is moving into a property where the owner's moving back in themselves in a year's time. And they might be very allergic to pets, right? And there are people that are like that. So, look, there's a variety of things, but I think the biggest risk for me in this is that the bond that we are taking for pets at the moment is $260, and that's to be used for pet fumigation only, right? If you do allow a pet in your premises, it is an additional risk. And therefore, you either want more money for it or you want a bigger safety net. So I hope that with this change, they will allow um, for us to collect a larger pet bond. I know tenants are responsible for all types of damages that happen, whether it's by kid or by pet or by accident. But four weeks rent is just really not a lot of money. And I'm hoping that, yeah, they will be able to provide us a bit more of a safety net in a larger pet bond in these cases as well. Mm. They've indicated that that's likely, but again, no detail to that yet, so... Fingers crossed they don't they make it a reasonable amount too that is gonna be able to 
actually cover damage and you know because a pet can cause a fair bit of damage when they i mean i i had a sale that was com- property coming up for sale they were minding a pet not approved on the lease kept it in the master bedroom so it wouldn't get into the rest of the house of course it got into the master bedroom in the space of an hour had destroyed both sets of blinds and gnawed out the carpet and this tenant thankfully yep put their hand up they actually went and got quotes for it all themselves came to us with the solution saying you know we're going to get the master bedroom carpet entirely replaced we're going to get the blinds entirely replaced and that was easy in that situation because yeah most people do want to do the right thing but you know for those tenants that try to just wash their hands of it don't tell us about it it happens in the last month before we've inspected it we're not holding enough bond they they're moving overseas. Too bad, so sad, uh, Mr. Owner. There's obviously going to be some insurance implications as well because any good owner would have landlord's protection insurance and building insurance and you know, we never want to make a claim, but I guess that's always there as a last resort if if the damage isn't covered by bond. I mean, that's a fantastic result. At least you've got some new blinds or some new curtains in there. But Oh, it helped the sale, all right? <laughs> yeah. But I'll have a story where the outhouse is an extension on Jarrah floors, but there was carpet on top. The cat was weighing on the carpet. So they pulled the carpet up to try and get rid of the smell. It actually had seeped through the carpet, through the underlay, into the Jarrah floorboards. Now what are you going to do? Cut the floorboards out. Well, you had to. I mean, there's no other way really to get rid of that smell. So, you know, the cost can be very, very large. And uh, like I said, I mean, even a pet bond there probably won't cover it, but there is certainly additional risk with accepting a pet. And it does come with. Well, let's think about how we might actually change our property selection now for anyone that's buying. Because with that potential to have a pet in every property, wouldn't it make sense that you look at flooring types that are going to be suitable and, you know, the hard floorings and, and things that aren't going to be, are going to be more indestructible and, and certainly going to be more uh, beneficial to keep a pet in. So, and the type of yards and other things, or you know, is there? I wonder what that's going to mean for the yard that isn't properly fenced, that a owner then has to be able to accommodate this little dog that keeps getting out. Look, I think the reality of this, though, is Jared, you've got a dog. I've got a dog. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not. I'm not giving my dog away. <laughs> so I think the reality is, though, if a tenant does have a pet and it's part of the family, as it is for many people. This is probably not too far. Yeah. We've already always encouraged landlords to accept a pet because if you if a tenant's got a, a pet, they're more settled, they're gonna stay longer term, they're gonna also all the right ones do the right things and keep look after them and you know, you wouldn't even know in one of my properties tenants got a really big dog. You wouldn't even know they're so well trained that, you know, they you wouldn't even know they live in the house. <laughs> so when it yep. goes well it goes well but we obviously here as property managers are trying to protect the downside for people and just think about those possibilities and how we can mitigate that loss so what else have we got uh look this one again might raise a few eyebrows i guess but so tenants will be able to make certain minor modifications to the rental premises and the landlord will only be able to refuse on certain grounds now we haven't got the specifics of what minor modifications are. We don't know what certain grounds are, but you can imagine, say, a long hallway, they've hung 20 pictures on 20 screws <laughs> along the hallway. 
Yes, when they vacate, they need to remedy and make back, make good as it was. But the next tenant comes in and does another 20 holes. And the next tenant does again because it is a whole way. I mean, arguably, I believe that everything should go past the owner, personal opinion here. They should be reasonable and accepting, but without having any ability to go, nah, I think this is probably a little bit too much. Again, it does come down to what the minor modifications are, but yeah, I, I don't like this one, unfortunately. <laughs> hmm. I mean, in the past, we've encouraged and I had to put a few screw hooks up in the living area and, you know, that way each tenant can use them when they turn over. And that's still probably a pretty good practice to, to keep up because then, you know, you're the one that's putting in the screw. You can have it done professionally. You leave it, there's less chance that they then want to, you know, put other things up hopefully, and that way you're still providing that ability. But, you know, this is probably giving them a lot more scope. They could do TV mountings on walls potentially. You know, what other modifications? Are they allowed to paint their girl's bedroom pink as long as they fix it on the way out? I don't know. To what extent it's going to be mine? And we'll hopefully get all the details to that. And, and at the end of the day, it would be nice to be able to keep an extra bond for this reason too, but it doesn't look like there will be. But hopefully in the detail that pops up and surprises us. What else is next? The release of security bonds, the making a few changes to how they're going to do that. This is a bit line, more in line with what I've seen in some other states. So with some other properties, the tenant can apply to have the bond released as well. And if the owner or property manager doesn't agree, then the bond would just automatically be or if they don't respond, rather, it would just automatically be released to the tenant within a certain time period. And then that way, it's not waiting for the property manager to do it. And some of them are arguably very tardy on how they lodge for bonds and they have to you know, be in control of the process at the moment with the property manager or owner doing that, initiating it. So here, the tenant can initiate it. And, and so any issues you can see here? Only for those, like you said, tardy property managers, really, and those tardy uh, owners, because you know, let's let's face it, some private landlords might hang on to the bond for a little bit longer as well, and maybe not be as proactive as they should be in releasing that. So, look again, I don't mind this so long as the property manager still has a final say in stocking a disposal that otherwise shouldn't be approved. Oh, look, I don't have any problem with that. And then probably this leads into the next one, which is how disputes will be handled over bond payments. And you'd have to imagine this is one of the, the main reasons everyone goes to the to the courts over. What's the changes look like now? Well, I mean, disagreements around pets, minor modifications are going to be referred to the commissioner for determination, really. So I guess the good thing from this perspective is that you're not going to have to wait uh, potentially for a magistrate to hear your case, but at the same time, I think they're going to need a lot more people <laughs> to be able to they will. run this, really. Um, don't know if they're going to be staffed up and they realise the amount of flow and are they going to become the next bottleneck? I'd imagine, unless they do it really well, I mean, how, how often does the government manage internal change exceptionally? They've known about this coming for years, so maybe they'll surprise us, Dwayne. I'm going to hold my tongue, Jared. Yes, Dwayne from Investor's Edge said. (laughs) Well, wait and see on that. I hope it becomes more streamlined, as they say it's going to be. I hope that we can get outcomes quicker and it'd be fabulous if we can get 
a resolution when it's you know very clear cut that things should be going to the owner and the tenant's disputing that, sometimes we have to wait quite a while to get to court, go through the whole process, and an owner could be out without money for two months, three months while it's held up. At least in this case, if we could get an answer in two weeks or something like that, that'd be amazing. So, I tend to agree, mate. So let's let's hope. <laughs> and then one of the ones that they were actually leaving is the no change to the no grounds terminations. Explain that for me because this was a really big one for me. And if they changed this, I would have been down at Parliament with me picket sign. <laughs> I'd love to and see I, that. I, I took a lot of effort to put my feedback in to the department as well as Rewa on this point particularly because explain to me why it's so important, Dwayne. If you don't capture it, I will. <laughs> so with regards to the no change to the no grounds termination, um, at the end of a fixed term lease, you can just choose not to renew, you know, and you can ask a tenant to move out, give them their notice period, part ways okay uh they were talking about removing that so there was only going to be specific reasons in which you can ask a tenant to move out um at the end of the lease which really throws the balance of power strongly towards the tenant there it could say so your reasons might have had to have been we're going to sell the property we're going to move back into the property not doing any of the above you can't end the lease basically it would have been precisely so i think I like having this here still because there are a couple of things above that have given tenants a little bit more, I guess, power, right? A little bit, a few more rights, you know, giving them a better, um, I guess, perceived, you know, no rent bidding, no rent increases every six months, allowing them to have pets. So they're, they're giving the tenants a lot um, in this sort of change to the RTA. But I think this no grounds termination still gives the investor or the owner the ultimate power, if you will, right? Because if a tenant decides to play the game and, you know, doesn't play it fairly, does all of the above, you know, and takes pets and takes 17 pets, for example, whatever it might be, at the end of the lease, the owner can just still say, all right, thanks for your time, Mr. Tenant. We're not renewing. So it does still hold the tenants in a position where they can't just be reckless with the minor minor modifications. They can't be reckless with how many pets they pick and you know, if the pets do trash the house, they're still going to be held accountable or the lease won't be renewed. So I actually really like this one. It's great news for investors, great news for owners, but from a tenant's perspective, it still leaves them a little bit exposed and, you know, after a fixed term lease, they can still be asked to go. So, yeah, sitting on the side of a tenant for a moment, it, it is still a little bit hard to swallow sometimes when you've been asked to move on for no reason, but ultimately – Owners, investors, they're holding the mortgage, they're taking the risk with this property. And I think it, it's actually a very fair balance to say, look, I'd want you to go, give you a notice, and off you go. It's still your property fundamentally. Well, that's a really good one to understand there, Twain, because there is many instances where along the way it might not be enough, you know, in, for one of the things for an owner to end that lease. There might not be any grounds to actually serve a termination and end the lease through that way. But there could be a lot of things that all add up for the owner to, you know, want to end. It could also be that the tenant's not able to pay the rent and the gap between what they're wanting to pay and the market rent has suddenly got too high. Again, an owner's going to want to go back to the market and place a tenant on that. So it's just as well that that's still around. Yeah. With all these changes in mind, we've got a housing supply shortage in Perth. 
and pretty much around the country. So I don't know why the governments decide to meddle with these things right when that's the backdrop that we have. Do you think these proposed changes are going to potentially affect the attractiveness of Perth property to investors or how do you see it playing out? Look, you know, my personal opinion is I don't think these changes are too much and I don't think any of these changes are going to change too many minds of investors that are already looking at the yields and the returns from our greener pastures over here compared to some other states um, and some other investment opportunities. I think most of the changes have already been made in other states as well. For example, the rent increase capped at no more than 12 monthly frequency. I mean, that's quite normal. Pets, you can't say no to pets. You know, other states have already got that. So um, we have a very, very severe supply demand issue here. And with a few minor changes to the Residential Tenancy Act, I actually don't believe that should should affect any investor's decision to buy here particularly when you've still got that no-grounds termination available, it's still, I think, much better than some of the other states and territories. Well, I think the thing to remember as well is let's put our hat on and say we're a smart investor for a minute. Go with me here. If the short-sighted investors that think short-term are put off by these changes or concerned by them, they hang back, if you're a smart investor and you're big picture and you're more just focused on, you know, what's this property going to do if it doubles for me in value over the next 10 years? That's the big picture reason we're doing this, not getting stuck into the minor things of do I have to worry about some hooks being put on the walls. Um, <laughs> it's never that simple, believe me. It's a property manager in the middle, but I'm trying to just simplify it here and explain my, my thinking. If it does put investors off in the shorter term, that's going to mean less rental supply, what's that going to do to rental prices? It's It's going to keep pushing them up. So if you're an existing investor and this puts other investors off, that's a pretty good backdrop for what's going to happen to the stability and the price of your rental, just supply and demand. So I always like to look at the flip side and play the the smart investors role, the bigger picture to things. And yeah, I'd encourage people not to get too trapped and focused on the short term because the rental yields are here, the growth potential's here, and that's what's going to change your life over the long term, not getting too worried about the short term stuff. I mean, if you have to think of it right, investors want returns. Ultimately, we all want the same thing, make money. The rental market in Perth is now averaging, what, $550 per week. Back in 2018, it was $350 per week. So, I mean, it's moved quite a fair bit. And I don't think it's going anywhere in a downward fashion anytime soon because vacancy rates are what at 0.5, 0.6%. So like I said earlier, we're in a severe supply-demand problem. And yeah, look, a few of these minor changes, it's fine. Well, I, I personally think they're not too, too big as a step in the wrong direction. So it doesn't... I mean, unless a whole bunch of investors get upset and sell their properties or they choose not to buy, you know, it's not really going to solve the underlying supply shortage. If anything, might make it slightly worse if some people overreact. So even though we're, we can't do that six-month rent increase, it, the rent increases are still going to be flowing through, aren't they? Absolutely. And so the government, if they want to sell the rental crisis, they need to try and find how to encourage more investors, find more supply and actually get more homes built that investors can rent out 
Otherwise, nothing's going to change. Or they can invade and invest in some stake album too. I mean, well, they did allow for, I think, 4,500 or 4,000 homes state housing-wise. It'll be interesting to see if they're buying them from the existing established properties to get them on the state housing sooner or whether they're actually going to build them and create some supply to not be taking it away from the rest of the buyers. But I kind of think, I don't know what the mix of that is, but I have personally in selling properties seen the state government around sniffing and looking to make offers on some of my properties. So in that case, they, they're a competition for existing buyers that are trying to get into the market at the moment. So I suspect that it's just going to make things more harder for buyers as well in the meantime. So no easy solution strain, but it's always going to be interesting. That much is for sure. Well, thanks for uh, making what could be a boring topic more interesting. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Cheers, mate. Thanks. See ya. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.